everyone, and welcome to A Broad's Way Through Broadway. I'm your host, the broad, Allison Chickarell, and today we are discussing the drowsy chaperone. Uh, here to join me is actor, singer, pianist, director, playwright, composer, and a million other things, uh, Matt Zembrowski. Unknowingly hey talented. <laughs> <laughs> Show off, Mr. Matt Zembrowski. Uh, uh, thanks know. for joining me. You're very welcome. This is your second time on the show now, so thank you so much for coming back. <laughs> hey, you're very welcome. I love it. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, Drowsy Chaperone. Okay, for those of you who are not familiar with this show, uh, this show debuted in May of 2006, featuring a cast including Sutton Foster and a whole bunch of like movie and TV people, actually. <laughs> uh, we got Georgia Engel, Edward Hibbert, um, and the writer of the uh, musical, Bob Martin. Uh, music and lyrics by Lisa Lambert and Greg Morrison. This show won five Tony Awards and seven Drama Desk Awards and was nominated for a billion other things, too. Um, so, Drowsy Chaperone, before we dive into to, to things here, Matt, how would you... Because this is a weird show. This is kind of like when we did Putnam County Spelling Bee. It's like, this is kind of an interesting show to describe what it's about or mm -hmm. what it is or what kind of show it is. How would you describe The Drowsy Chaperone? <laughs> um, uh, honestly, I would describe it as as kind of the ultimate musical theater fans musical. Um, because <laughs> really the whole show, uh, it takes place in the apartment of an unnamed narrator. I think he's just referred to as the man in the chair uh, mm -hmm. in the original cast recording. And it was played by Bob Martin, like you said, the author of the show. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, he he basically puts on his favorite record, his favorite musical theater album record um, of a show called The Drowsy Chaperone. And he kind of narrates it for the audience. Um, <laughs> so it, it's it's a musical within a musical kind of a thing. Um, mm -hmm. But it is so loaded with uh, sort of insider nerdy stuff and references to other shows that that theater folks, you know, real true theater folks um, are are supposed to try to find. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's really the plot of it. The plot of the show that's in a show is really kind of comically inconsequential. <laughs> um, to try to explain it would really kind of take time that we don't need to spend because that's not really what it's about or what it's mm -hmm. for. Right. Yeah. I, it's so, so much like satire and, and spoof in there. Um, and I, I definitely think that the show is enjoyable for anyone, but it is obviously going to be more enjoyed by, you know, theater people, the more, the more into theater you are, because there's just so much more in there that you can appreciate and, right. and, um, and find enjoyable. But I think, um, I, I think I know, uh, like my mom is not a, theater person necessarily uh she goes to see a lot of shows but that's about it but she doesn't do anything about it i was just gonna and say loved... how on earth did she end up being your mother <laughs> well it's my dad my dad ah, is there my, my dad is the hammy theatrical you know nut job who who is always on um so that's that that's Perfect. that history of of how i became who i am uh but you know my mom uh my mom is not the you know she doesn't like the spotlight and she never want she never want to be on stage anything like that but she loved the drowsy chaperone and uh and and she was able to catch quite a, quite a bit of the the things in there that would normally appeal to like you know actors and actresses and musical theater people specifically um she enjoyed it she saw a production of it when we did it at, at um the box theater at the theater that i run and um and enjoyed it a lot um Great. 
what is your uh, background in relation to the show? You've, you've worked with the show, right? I've done it a couple times. Um, and actually, I have a really cool kind of story for you. Um, and th- this, this, is, this is sort of my karmic way of apologizing in a way for, is for it, how... Is it about you meeting Drowsy Chaperone cast members? Cause... Um, well, I mean, I have plenty of stories <laughs> about that. But uh, funny enough, no. Um, no um, I, uh, I went to New York, I want to say 2007. So after this show had been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I, of course, you know, I, I'd only been to New York a couple times at that point and my aunt and uncle were, were treating me. Um, they, they said, uh, you know, you're done with college now and we want to, as a, you know, as a present to you, we're going to take you out to New York and we're going to see some shows because they knew that that's what I was into. Uh-huh. Um, and so, um, they got there first. Uh, they arrived in New York before I did a few hours before I did. And so I, I kind of had a mental checklist of like seven or eight shows that I wanted to see and we had at most five slots that we could go see shows in Mm -hmm. um and so um by the time i landed um they said hey we've already got your your ticket taken care of and like what um i you didn't even ask what i wanted how did that work out okay so we met up um in in times square and they showed me that they had a ticket to the drowsy chaperone which honestly was like number eight (laughs) on my list of seven shows that i wanted to see and so I looked at it and it was one of those moments and I look back on it with such deep regret because <laughs> you know how at Christmas you get something from an aunt or an uncle and you go, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. I couldn't even disguise my disappointment because <laughs> I knew that there was something I really wanted to see that I wouldn't be able to now because I was stuck seeing the drowsy chaperone, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, by that point was kind of passe. It was old news. Yeah. Um, so um, we went to the theater and I, of course, I had fairly low expectations and I was like, well, whatever. We're just, I, I, I'm, it was a it's present, a so ticket. I'm going to say thank yeah. you. It's a free ticket. I'm not going to whine too much. Yeah. And within the first like four minutes, I was just in tears laughing. It was so funny. <laughs> and I it's it's one of those shows that that I was so surprised by how much I liked it that I think it just made me enjoy it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and by this point, um, uh, Bob Martin was no longer in the cast. And I think Sutton Foster had also moved on. Okay. But most of the original cast was there. I actually saw, I think his um, uh, Glover. Um, I can't remember what his first name was. Uh, he was the first person, I think, that took over. He was right before Bob Saget went in, oh, okay. which is funny because I actually went to go see Young Frankenstein on that trip, mm-hmm. and Bob Saget was, was in oh. the theater at Young Frankenstein. I remember you and telling I said, me that. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "Oh, hey, I was, I, I was, I'd love to see you in Drowsy Chaperone, but it sounds like I missed you by a couple of weeks." Like, "Oh, yeah, you'll have to come back." <laughs> So that um, story that wasn't about you meeting famous people still somehow ended up. It did kind of veer into meeting <laughs> yeah. famous people, yes. But, you know. You know. Those of you who missed They're everywhere in New York. They're just people. You just drop the famous when you go to New York. They're just everywhere. <laughs> Those of you who missed the last episode where Matt and I chatted about Adam's family, Matt goes to New York every, you know, like five minutes basically and meets <laughs> and meets all the famous people all of the people all of the people he meets them that's why i yeah. invite him on this show so he can you know talk about all these people that he's met in person and <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's but so here's fun. okay so here's the yeah right here's the irony of that is um the the show played at the marriott marquee theater which is actually it's it, the theater's in a hotel it's mm-hmm. in a marriott hotel um and i could not find the stage door to save myself <gasps> i am scrambling all over the place looking um because uh, another one of the Actors um, uh, Harriet Engel, um, who recently passed away, which makes me very sad because mm-hmm. she's so delightful. Yeah. Um, uh, 
she was no longer in the show, um, but Joanne Worley, who was on a show called Laugh-In when my parents were were younger, um, they they just, they loved that show, mm-hmm. um, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. And I desperately was trying to go find the stage door so I could find her and tell her how much, you know, my, my parents loved watching them and how much I enjoyed watching her mm-hmm. in the show. But I, not to be, I could not find it anywhere. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So... That's that's really sad. It is terribly sad. And you know, I mean, and I've I've tried looking back. I mean, for, for better or worse, there hasn't really been a show in the Marriott Marquis that I've wanted to see recently. Um, so that's finding the stage ask. door have hasn't you been since yeah. found it on any of your other visits. Have you since found it? Uh, it's hard to tell. I went to go uh, the last, uh, the only other time I think I've been in the Marriott Marquis um, is uh, for I'm nope. I'm even going to lie about that. I, I I think the Easter bonnet. The Broadway Cares Easter Bonnet show that I went to was in the Minskoff, which is okay. where Lion King plays, which is actually it, it's it, right. it's pretty close. Um, and that stage door I could find because I walked yeah. outside and Leia Salonga was standing right like <laughs> 10 feet from me. So I'm like, OK, well, I know where this stage door is. Of course she was. <laughs> Not that I was looking for yeah. it. Princess Jasmine just, you know, just like hanging like, you know, yep. just <laughs> Jeez. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so your, so that kind of leads me into our, um, our our next kind of point of discussion. First impressions. Your first impression of the show was kind of, I guess I'll see it, I suppose. And, <laughs> which is kind of funny because of, of how it ended up turning out. Right. That it was yeah, and so it ended up enjoyable. absolutely being one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Um, for me, it says for me, it was the same when I, I I wasn't familiar with it when it was um it was pitched to do at the theater and I was looking into it and going like, okay, I I only kind of understand what is going on in this script. Like, <laughs> I mean, I I it's not one of those ones that you can instantly kind of picture how it's going to work. So I was unfamiliar with it, but it was I thought it was such a blast. I was able to um. I was in the ensemble. We had an ensemble of two people <laughs> in, in our production. <laughs> I was I was a skanky maid, you know, like like I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was so it was so fun to watch this show come together. Oh yeah. Um, the uh, the man in the chair is a, is a super super fun role, and and it's and the man in the chair is the kind of the main character, the narrator, as as Matt said earlier. Um, the role that um that the author played and. It's fun because it's kind of one of those roles where it could be, you know, it could be an old guy, it could be a young guy, it could be, it could be a woman, you know, it can be really anyone who's going to be able to, who who can can kind of portray that person with such a passion for musical theater and, cla- and classic musicals. And it's such a right. charming character to kind of, yeah. to sort of hang out with during the show because he does, you know, break that wall and talks directly to the audience and things like that. So it's kind of like you're hanging out with this character of the show throughout the entire show, which is only like, what, like an hour, 15 minutes long? It's a short show. It's not long. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think there's, there's an intermission. There typically I, People have done it with an intermission. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we did it with an intermission the, the couple times that I directed it just, you know, because we want to give people a break in right. the audience. Right. Um, but it's it's not written that way. No, I think it's the, original the length Broadway of a production movie. Was, it's it's, yeah, it's like more an like and a half. throw an intermission in because we're a theater and we sell money at, we, or we sell money. We uh, get money at concessions and... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know that's I know that's why we put it on intermission. It's like, eh, we make we make some yep. good donations during our concession break. So we'll, we'll still that's, do an intermission. That's how it goes, yeah. But it's short, act two if you blink you miss it um yep so it's so yeah that's oh my gosh that's so funny um so 
you said you were you were not not so keen on seeing it, and then five minutes in, you were you were laughing your head off. Um, totally hooked. Do you remember? Um, do you remember who uh, the female lead, Janet Vandergraaf? Vander Vandergraaf? Vandergraaf? Janet Vandergraaf. Yeah. yeah. No, Vandergraaf. I do not. I do not remember who it was. I'd really have to go and dig out my um, my my playbill and uh, maybe maybe when we take our little break, yeah. um, I can go and find <laughs> it and we can we can discuss it. Yeah, I I'd, do know. I'd be interested um, in I seeing do, who you saw. Sure. Um, I I mean I know I did see um, I did see uh, the original Drowsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Danny Bernstein was still playing Eldolfo at that point. Oh, okay. Um, I know that the two of them were still original. Um, but beyond that, I can't recall. So uh, we're actually, I am going to do that. I'm going to go find, I know exactly <laughs> where all of my Broadway playbills are. I'm going to go find it uh, during our break. Nice. Um, and then uh, when we reconvene, I will tell you exactly who uh, who I saw. Awesome. Awesome. So. And John Glover was the, the name John of the man Glo- in the chair. Right, if, right, right. Yeah. Okay. If anybody saw Gremlins Two, which was really, really big when I was growing up, yeah, uh, he, he was he was in that. He was he played a really funny part in that too. So it's kind of a trip to see him on stage. Interesting. Oh, that's fun. Um. Okay. So, casting. Did you did you hear the score, the Broadway soundtrack, um, before you saw the show, or no? I honestly don't remember. Um, I'm I'm gonna guess not, okay. um, because I'm sure if I would have heard it, I would have been much more enthusiastic uh, going to see it. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, so, it's a great score. Oh yeah, like the music yeah, is really fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of meant to be what they call pastiche, which is you know sort of lovingly recreating a different style. It's meant to it, the 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 album of the musical that uh, is central to the show, the Drowsy Chaperone itself, um, uh, is is supposed to be one of the old twenties musicals, um, which was much heavy on music and not so heavy on plot. Um, and and it, it not only does a really good job of of sort of uh, going back to that that twenties Rogers and Hart. Yeah. Um, no, that's a good point. I didn't even think of it that way. When I first heard the score, I, I loved the music and obviously, you know, Sutton Foster, you know, of course. But like, yeah, right. I was not really familiar with any of the other cast members of this show. Yep. Um, uh, Georgia Ingle, I know, is, you know, from uh, uh, TV and, and movies and stuff like yep. that. This seemed to have a lot of not necessarily people who were on Broadway a lot. And I know a lot of them were um, were Bob Martin's friends, like people who we've worked with before offstage, I think, um, if I recall correctly. But I, rem- I just remember thinking, because usually when I listen to a Broadway score, there's usually like two or three yeah, right. performers in there that I at least know from a few other things. And this one, I feel like, I feel like it's Sutton Foster, you know, like, freaking queen of Broadway up there with, like, mm-hmm. no one else who, who's, like, super, you know, super well-known in Broadway. I'd be interested to see, the, like, the next, per, after with everything going on, um, the next group to perform this show, whether it's at a school or community theater or mm-hmm. or um, one of the, you know, regional theaters or something to to see how they, to see what they do with Aldolfo. Because um, I've seen it, I've seen it, both ways too. I've seen with not. I have not seen a pasty white Eldolfo like Danny Bernstein. <laughs> I haven't. Ours, ours was at least a a a darker skinned man oh, who does sure. have uh Spanish. I I believe he has Spanish somewhere down the line. So it's like some of that I think did carry through. But he wasn't like you know, 
a straight up like Latin person. So it, but it, but it, you know, it, it worked, mm-hmm. it worked and it was, it was fun. Um, and even if you, or even if you like go, you know, like for personally, like what I do, if I have auditions coming up and I see who's coming to my auditions and there, and there's something about the yep. quantity of the turnout or quality of the turnout, turnout that's making me nervous, you know, I extend invitations to specific people where it's right. like, I'm pretty sure I'd have something for this person just to sort of give myself more options. But even when you do that, yes, sometimes don't you're sometimes just not able to in community theater and in school theater. You you gotta yep. you gotta put together the show with what you were given. And uh, as a director, I know that that's something that's changed. Um, that's changed me a little bit because when I was younger, I'd sometimes see a show and I'd wonder. this person like why did they get that why did they get that role why did they cast this person's this role and i and i would be a little judgy about it i would be a little bit like oh i would have i would have cast someone different and now after years of directing and learning totally sometimes you have a lot of options and sometimes you just don't and this is what you're given to work with and so go ahead and i no longer judge it anymore because i never know if it's something like maybe this was the turnout that they got and it wasn't the director's fault and that was the best they could get out of this like it's just something that's uh, that. Sorry, tangent that has nothing to do with Jersey Chaperone, but it's just something that that <laughs> we learn as directors. <laughs> um, all right, listen. I think uh, I think this is a good spot for us to take a break. So you're gonna go look for your playbills, yep. and f- we're gonna find out which cast you saw. You lucky son of a. And then um, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about some uh, production aspects and some of our favorite things, uh, favorite scenes and songs from Drowsy Chaperone. So uh, we'll see you in in a little bit right after this word from our friends at Six Five Media. Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume that we could do better. Even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes. Our library of previous episodes. Our precious library, Jim. <laughs> our library of precious episodes. <laughs> You're a pirate Smeagol. <laughs> uh, okay. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes. And submit your demand for a future episode, too. So go do that. Okay, bye. Okay, end of ad. Hi, I'm Ryan. And I'm Mike. And we are brothers-in-law. We both love beer and are amateur homebrewers. Wait, so does that make us... Brothers-in-law? <laughs> I believe so. Every episode, we will talk about aspects of beer and homebrewing. But nothing super technical because we're learning this too. So join us as we sit down together and dive into something beer-related. Whether it's a little field research, tasting a certain beer style, or beers from a specific brewery, Talk about our experiences brewing beer at home, including our own solo brews, as well as themed competitions we'll set up along the way. We will also talk about some of our favorite aspects of brewing, like hops, extra ingredients, building our brew cave, and more. And of course, our own misadventures that have happened along the way. So, if you like beer, are home brewing already, or if you have an interest in home brewing and don't know where to start, join us on Brewers in Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. 
YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at BrewersInLaw and check out our website, BrewersInLaw.com. Cheers. Cheers. And we're back to a broad's way through Broadway. I hope you enjoyed your intermission. Uh, I'm Allison Chickrell here with Matt Zembrowski. We're talking about Drowsy Chaperone. And Matt, so when we left, you were going to go look at your playbill from when you saw this show in New York on Broadway um, to find out what cast you saw. Did you see some original cast members who was? I did. I did actually, and it took a little longer to find my playbill than I thought it was going to. And I can actually, I can even tell you when because it always says when this uh, this was June of 2007 that I went to go see the show so it had been playing for a while like a year I think um, yeah about that um, it, was, it was definitely after the Tonys uh, um, where we kind of knew what was going on with that so um, there were still a number of original cast members that were in it uh, Danny Burstein who we kind of mentioned in the first half mm-hmm. um, was still playing Eldolfo at that point and I remember very distinctly watching him and going wow you can tell that he's found every possible moment. Like you could, you could just tell as a performer that he's, he'd been doing it for a while yeah. and, and he was still having fun with it. Um, and Beth Level, who we also mentioned, uh, who played Drowsy in the original cast, um, she was still going at that point. Okay. Um, as was the guy who was playing Robert Martin, um, whose name is Troy Britton Johnson. I don't know him. Um, I'm not. Uh, he uh, he does not have. He was in. Um, he was in the Broadway production of Damn Yankees with Jerry Lewis. Okay. Um, if that you know, if that means anything, um, and I don't know if he's gone on to do anything since then. Um, both of the gangsters were still original at that point. Okay. Um, uh, Garth and Jason Kravitz, who uh, I just found out beforehand were brothers. They're brothers. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the original Kitty was still playing it. Jennifer Smith is her name. Okay. Okay. So That's there, a fun there was role there was still quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, Kitty. Kitty is such a so great fun. role, and it's really it's easy to kind of overlook how how much fun that part is because it, you know she she's written to be kind of the the, the bubblehead. You know, she the, reminds the me of Lily St. Regis from Annie. Oh, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, and and but there's you know there's there's so much depth to it, and it's I mean honestly, if you know that that's what you're going to be playing, you can really bite into that. Yeah. I mean, that 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 doesn't have to be a reflection of who you are as a person, because mm-hmm. that's the fun of playing such silly parts on stage. Yeah, no, I agree. I, if I, if I ever did the show again, I'd be I'd be shooting for for Kitty. That's a super fun role. Like that, I, those are types of roles that I'm drawn to. Those ones, it's like kind of supporting as potential scene stealer kind of kind mm-hmm. of character that's super fun um and then if you screw up no one remembers right right it's like <laughs> well well featured but not as much pressure right totally <laughs> totally it's on one shoulder and not both exactly exactly oh my gosh oh wait so now you said something interesting that with with the the actor playing Aldolfo, you know alongside some of the cast members who, you know, were the original performers and had like a gazillion shows into their belts. And then obviously some replacements who were kind of new to the mm-hmm. cast. I've never, I mean, I won't say I'm never, I, I'm sure I have and I just didn't pay enough attention. But it's interesting what you said because there probably is a big difference between the actors from the original cast performing the show with people who are kind of new to the show. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, something that people may, maybe don't necessarily, like, look into a lot or think about a lot when they're watching a cast, when it is a, such a big mix of the original cast members and newer cast members. Um, I'm thinking about the actor who played Mufasa 
in Lion King and he played gosh he played that role I think it was something like like 800 performances or something like oh, that it sure. was insane and I'm just like oh my gosh how do you do a role that many times and and keep it fresh like holy Christmas and then I had an acquaintance um who uh, who who um was the original Monsieur Andre mm-hmm. uh, in um, in Phantom of the Opera, and he played that show. It was something absurd, like fifteen thousand performances. That is insane. And I got to see him before uh, before he moved on to a different show. Um, uh, he was acquaintances with my mom, um, and we met up. And I asked him. I said, "How do you how do you do that?" And, and he said, "You know, quite honestly, I put all of my kids through college on this part, <laughs> and." <laughs> It gets to a point where you've done it so many times that you literally couldn't screw it up if you tried. It is so deeply in your bones. Yeah. Um, and so it it, it becomes a question of when is this when is this uh you know when is this a job and when is this still fun? Um, and he mm-hmm. said that he still found fun. You know, it, it it comes from seeing the new performers experiencing it, like you were just talking about, um, and and just uh, finding the little moments that the audience gives you, because that's really the only way I would think. I've I've played one role about 120 times before, um, but it's different because I was playing piano yes. for it at, as well as acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there was, was nicely, you know, nicely they're constantly. Uh, no, that was for. Um, that was for um, uh, the Cut a Hit Carol at Christmas. I oh, played Myron Nitsky. Right. Um, and uh, but that one, you know, I I had I was the only member of the orchestra. I was the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if if a particular performer missed a beat or if the audience coughed or whatever, I mean, I I, I was sort of controlling the music as well. So I didn't have the same rote experience that some of these long-term performers have had. Yeah. Um, but you do, you, you, you start, you start feeling it in your bones a little bit. You start feeling it in your muscle memory and it, it's, it gets harder and harder to forget. I could probably still recite most of Myron's speech at the end if really pressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's gotta be, like you said, different audiences and reacting differently. And, and actually I can say, I pretty sure I can safely say that if I were performing in a show for the gajillionth time, but all my castmates or most of my castmates were brand new to the show. I definitely think that aspect would keep my performance fresh. It's kind of like when mm-hmm. you like you've if you've watched a movie a million times and you find out that your friend or your spouse or whoever hasn't seen it and you get to watch it with them and they're watching it for the first time, you enjoy it differently. And yep. I think it's kind of like it's probably kind of like that where if it's the same show over and over with the same people over and over that's one thing but if the, if there's different people watching it or different people participating that's got to keep that's got to help keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Um so this show was written by two composers who I don't know, a, a lyricist and a composer who I I had to look up who they were um, in regards to this show, as well as their credits for other shows. Um, mm-hmm. Lisa Lambert and Greg Morrison. Not familiar mm-hmm. with them. So, did, are you? <laughs> uh, no. And I I mean, I, I kind of had to look up uh, other things that they had done, too. And it's 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 not household stuff. No, it's not. It's uh, this. This is the normally the time in the episode where we talk about uh, the composer's other credits and their other works and how this show compares to their other works. 
And I don't really know how we can talk about that for this particular episode because uh, I don't think either of us is really even familiar with their other works to even have any sort of comparison discussion. Yeah, um, as, as far as I understand, and I will tell you um, that um, a lot of the people involved in this show um, are actually friends with the writer, Bob, um, whose real name is Bob Martin, right. um, who was involved in a show uh, in Canada, a really big hit show in Canada 